Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, May 22nd, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? It's springtime. <laughs> yeah, here too. <laughs> yeah, it's excellent. Finally. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Um, so what's going on? I know that Last week, we talked a little bit about round three, decisions coming. Are we still, is there still some of that happening? I do see a lot of people talking on the live wire about wait list movement and whether there's going to be any, that kind of stuff. But Yeah, yeah. It's all about wait lists and round threes um, and, and, and so forth. And yeah, this upcoming week, we've got several schools um, rolling out their round three decisions, Keenan Flagless, Stanford, Booth. Oh, wow. um, Ross amongst those that are doing that. Ross is actually round four, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the several of that. And I, actually, I was looking because I wanted to track. Well, when when do the deferred candidates? When when do they get their decisions? And it's quite interesting because that's actually um, in June. Yeah. But then then I I realised well actually they don't have to enrol those folks straight away. So the schools basically could take their time, I guess, in terms of. Um, getting back to the deferred folks. So they're going to have to wait a little bit. And it's round three um, decisions again this week. Yeah, from the admissions side, deferred is really challenging in that, you know, they're going to admit a certain number. They try to have, you know, some of these schools try to have 10% of their class be deferred. But then it's a really a moving target because each year that goes by, there's some melt, you know, where people just decide, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to go get the MBA or yeah. th- there could be. So it's like a really long period. And so it's it's a whole new kind of challenge for schools to manage that, I think, in terms of bringing in their class. Yeah, the yield on deferred admits will be lower than the yield on um, traditional candidates for sure. Yeah, you just said that a lot better than I did. <laughs> um, so, all right. So, the only other thing I wanted to mention um, before we get into some news and things is that we continue to run our application overview series. That we're, we've got one more event this Wednesday where I'm going to sit down with Columbia. Cornell, Georgetown, and UVA Darden to do, again, just a sort of discussion about their application process. Uh, we try to call out unique elements in each school's, um, you know, kind of application requirements and get them talking about tips and, and even things they don't like to see. So it's been fun. It's been a great month. This will be the last uh, one of those. And so I, I do want to require, or sorry, not require, <laughs> encourage people to sign up in advance. You can go to bit.ly forward slash C-A-M-B-A event. Events, all one word. And then after this one, you kind of have to wait until the summer yeah, because yeah. we roll out our, our essay insight workshops all through July and those are fun too. Yeah, yeah. I just want to add a couple of quick points. One is, um, you know, when, when you run events like this, usually we would say, you know, sign up quickly, seats will run out, that kind of stuff to create some um, <laughs> urgency. But frankly, for, for last week's event, it looks like we have a thousand folks signed up and we're still rolling and getting more sign signups for these events. So it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's been, I mean, yeah, surprisingly popular. So, I mean, yeah. we always get people, but this has been a really great spring for us on that front. So a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. But you got you got to love these types of events because we're not const- constrained with, you know, real space and, and, and that kind of stuff for, for a traditional event. Online events, yeah. If it's a thousand people, that's great. If it's 
10 people, you'll be a bit lonely. And we've done a lot of research, you know, just on the side about what people want. And, and it seems like for these kind of events, you know, um, where it's hearing from admissions teams about process and things, online is great. You know, that's really what people want. Going to campus is better for, you know, connecting with students and seeing the kind of professors in action, things like that. So in any event, um, yeah, we've had a lot of fun. The other big news in our space is that uh, over at Cornell Johnson, they just announced a new dean who's coming on board. The, the prior dean's stepping back into his role as a professor. I guess he's been at, at Cornell for maybe 30 plus years. So this new person, his name is Vishal Gore. And he, this guy, you, you know, I, I hate to coin or, or borrow one of your phrases, Alex, but um, this guy is wicked smart, as you would say. I mean, he's an IIT grad. Okay, so one of the best engineering schools in India. Then he got an MBA in India from one of the IIMs, which we know are the best kind of management schools across India. And then to top it off, came to the U.S. and did a Ph.D. at the Wharton School um, before, you know, embarking on his career as a, as a professor and things like that. So, yeah, this is so I mean, we're going to see obviously stepping into the role. I don't know if it started yet or it's coming soon or something in terms of the timing of all this. But good news out of Cornell Johnson. Sounds exciting. Yeah, well done, Cornell. Yeah. So, and then the other thing that we did is we ran a piece called part of our Fridays from the Frontline series that we do uh, occasionally where we dive into kind of a, a student experience at a school, usually in a pretty niche kind of topic. So this week, um, we managed to catch up with a student at Fuqua who is really interested in alternative proteins. And you can tell how in the dark I am. I, I did have to look this up because I wasn't sure if it had to do with like sort of, you know, um, I don't know. At first I thought it was like biotech, but it's, this is food. So proteins like, you know, fake um, or whatever we call, you know, beyond meat, stuff like that. Right. So, so this guy got to Fuqua and if I understand correctly, I had no experience in this space and by the time he's like graduating, he's already set up and, and held a conference on alternative proteins where they had the CEO from Beyond Meat come and, and speak, it sounds like. And and the, he's done like an internship with a company growing um, meat in the laboratory and another one where he got involved with um, a company trying to produce breast milk like outside of the body. Um, so yeah, just really interesting about how you can kind of create, a, you know, a, a kind of pursue a niche interest and really make it happen, you know, and, and Fuqua, it sounds like they were really supportive of this. And he's got a whole bunch of his classmates who are interested in this space. Obviously, it's a really growing uh, space. So yeah, just kind of interesting to read about that. That's absolutely brilliant. Graham, your 15 minute prep for the show is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little behind schedule today. <laughs> yeah. But, but um, and then the other thing that we did is we did another Real Humans. So this week, I know last week you, you were chiding <laughs> me for, we had like four of them and I was getting too excited about them and, and reading all these quotes, but we just have one this week. So it should be pretty simple. And her name is Alexa. And she went to Emory Goizueta, graduated in 2020. She's a senior master manager for U.S. marketing at Pfizer, and she originally hails from Caracas, Venezuela. And I just want to read, she had sort of two quotes. The first is kind of about how she ended up at Emory and, and sort of what she thinks about Emory for healthcare-related stuff. And so she says, you know, Guizueta has a close-knit environment, and I felt it would be beneficial for me to get one-on-one -on -one FaceTime with professors easily. Being in Atlanta, the home of the CDC and other leading healthcare organizations, and adjacent to the Rollins School of Public Health, I knew I would be able to build my business acumen while still um, being exposed to the healthcare space. 
which is where I wanted to stay. Additionally, I wanted to be with other students who had similar marketing interests. And at the time, there was a strong cohort moving into marketing roles post-graduation. So just kind of interesting to hear about that. You know, I always, I'm always fascinated to understand like what makes someone choose a school. And, and I think she, you know, really um, touches on some key attributes of Emory in this domain of healthcare being in Atlanta and, and with their public health school and stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely brilliant. And 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 fair play. I did want to um, just go back to your previous food science person. That was a Friday from the front lines yeah. um, piece. That's probably one of our oldest um, um, sort of um, pieces of content, whatever you call it, right? Yeah. Um, that not many people will be familiar with because we used to run these Fridays from the front lines on every Friday, probably for several years. And the idea was to hear directly from current students and in some cases alums um, about their experience as MBAs and MBA alums and even applicants. Um, so I'm just throwing that out there. If there are um, applicants, MBA students or alums listening to this that run a blog and want to be featured, um, reach out to us. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's something we do less frequently now yeah. because I guess when we started it, everyone was in the throes of blogging and, you know, everybody had a blog, right? And so yeah, then these... Facebook got invented. <laughs> yeah, Just exactly. goes to show how long we've been running that series. I know. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so, and then the other thing that Alexa um, had to say uh, about her experience is, and this is kind of interesting one, she just talked about, you know, in terms of like, going through the recruiting process and getting this job at Pfizer and stuff, she said, you know, it's okay to not know what you want to do and explore some different tracks, um, especially exploring different tracks to those around you. So, and I think what she means by that is things that are not what everyone else is, <laughs> is exploring. Um, and she says, she goes on to say, being surrounded by many peers who are pursuing investment banking or consulting was tough in certain instances. And it even influenced me to interview at a consulting firm, which I knew was not the right fit for me. Yeah. So I think she's saying, if you know you want something that's a little more niche, don't get swept up. And this is a recurring theme, right? That we've, yeah. we've talked about, but yeah. you know, just go out, go for it. <laughs> so it was just kind of nice. Yeah, no, we, we, yeah, we've highlighted this before. The problem is your classmates that are going for those consulting banking jobs, that recruiting cycle tends to occur earlier than um, yes. Say, for instance, Pfizer or, or, or whatever. So, so you're seeing your classmates saying, yeah, I've got an interview, I've got an intern, and you feel like, I don't know if it's a FOMO thing or whatever it is, but it's like, you know what, I need to get in this recruiting groove. Um, so, so yeah, yeah we, we see that advice quite regularly, and it's not surprising, and stick to your guns. Fantastic. Yeah. Totally. Um, so that's really all I had this week. We haven't gotten any new, you know, reviews or anything. So if people are willing, we'd love to get some <laughs> reviews on, especially on uh, the Apple podcast platform where they easily allow for folks to submit them. Otherwise, just rate us. Maybe nobody's listening, Graham. Yeah. Maybe that's the problem. It's a, it could be. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The, the stats suggest otherwise, but yeah, it's possible. But anyway, if, if people want to send us any uh, comments, complaints, uh, <laughs> uh, funny story items to share, just write to info at clearadmit.com, use the subject line wiretaps, and we will write you back. So uh, Alex, anything else that you had before we get into our candidates for this week? No, let's kick on. All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. Our first candidate this week is applying or has 11 schools on the target list for now. Um, so this person has, you know, Berkeley, Carnegie Mellon, Cornell, Duke, Harvard, 
Michigan, NYU, Stanford, McCombs, Vanderbilt, and Yale. And they want to start next fall, so fall of 24. And they are looking to get into nonprofit social impact type work. They've been working, uh, they've had some sort of entrepreneurial experiences before business school. Their GRE is a 327 and their GPA is a 3.4. They have six years of work experience. They're located in Asia. I don't think they specified beyond that. And they note in the um, comments here, they say, I've worked extensively in both private and public sectors. Now I wanna switch to social work and I can only do an MBA if I get a full scholarship or aid. Please suggest if I had narrowed down the right schools, what other schools should I look up or remove from my list? So this is an interesting one, Alex, because I think we could first just talk about whether this person has a, you know, the right kind of profile to go off to business school, kind of the numbers, all that stuff. But then this idea that they're looking to make a pivot into social impact, it sounds like, and that also they're looking for a free ride. Um, sort of further complicates things. So what's your take? Yeah, like you say, let's look at their overall profile in the first instance. And I'm sort of guessing from from what they've written, which is quite reasonably brief, that they have a strong sort of um, professional experience. They list entrepreneurship as their pre-MBA career, and they say they've had extensive um, experience in both the private and public sectors. Um, so as long as they can show real impact and growth over that six-year period, so it's quite a, you know, it's a, 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 certainly a decent amount of time, um, then that's probably a strength of their profile. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that they want to switch to social work signals to me they're probably also doing some interesting things, sort of community-related re- and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. and that can be very favorable. We don't absolutely know that. So it would be interesting to know a little bit more about what they do outside of work. Agreed. And where this notion of wanting to switch to social work has come from. Um, so is it part of their DNA? Is it something they've always done and now they want to go into it full time? Or is it sort of, you know, I've had an epiphany and I want to um, do, so, you know, just do this pivot or whatever it is. So we need to know more about that for sure. Um, yeah, their GRE is is very respectable at three twenty seven. Um, their GPA three point four. That might be all right. I mean, it depends. You know, what what is the class rank? I mean, obviously in the US, this, that would be a little bit lower than the median. Um, but this is probably a, a, a an international um, degree. So um, we need need to know a little bit more about the quality of the degree and so on and so forth to assess that. They're based in Asia. We, we know that. We don't know that they're necessarily from Asia. We just know that they're based there, I think. Right. Um, now, all that said, yeah, if they apply in the first round and they really have that sort of impact and growth at work, they're doing interesting things outside of work and this transition to social work makes perfect sense. I'm probably thinking round one, maybe tail end of the M7, top 16, somewhere around there, right? Mm-hmm. Again, it's going to depend upon, um, you know, the real quality of that work, the real quality of their academics and so forth that we don't absolutely know. But, you know, M7, top 16. But the kicker here is um, they want to get a free ride. Um, So, and and yeah, if you're going to want to switch into social work, you're not exactly targeting, you know, the the high-paying post-MBA careers. So I understand that, 
um, as part of that switch, it would be nice to get a free ride mm-hmm. um, and to sort of um, facilitate it. And there are schools seemingly over the last several years, Graham, seem to be giving out more and more scholarship money. So maybe it is doable. Um, but what I would say is, all right, if, you, if, if that's your number one concern, i.e. getting a free MBA, um, then, yeah, you might be, uh, you, you might qualify for sort of M7 top 16, but maybe you've got to adjust your sites top 16, top 20, even into top 25 to get that free ride. Um, so yeah. the, the point is you've got to lower your expectations a little bit um, to get the free ride. So in the round one, what they would probably best need to do is target one or two M7, one or two top 16, and one or two you know, in the next tier and maybe even one in the following tier mm-hmm. to get a really nice spread to see where they fit. Because I think another thing that we've observed over the years, Graham, is there's going to be a little bit more scholarship money available for round one candidates versus round two candidates. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's an absolute, like we know that explicitly, but um, I think we get that sense. Yeah, it depends on the school. There's some schools where they, you know, try to bucket it out. But, you know, the truth is, is if you offer someone and then they say no, then that money goes back into the pool. So there may be some, you know, I I think it just varies from school to school. But the thing, my, my thing with this candidate is I'm just... I'm a little concerned that, I mean, we don't have a lot of information on the work experience. We can assume that it's good, but, you know, they just say worked extensively in both private and public sectors. And so there's very little data there. Um, I guess my initial thought when I read this was, I don't know, you know, this person applying from Asia, um, if they are male applying from Asia, 3.4 GPA, you know, suddenly I'm sort of like, okay, you know, there's not, I don't, I'm not looking at that profile or those aspects of the profile and saying, wow, this is like a free ride scholar. You know, I mean, I, if this person had like a, you know, three, eight and a three thirty three on the GRE, then I would say, oh yeah, you know, go, go for it. You might get a free ride somewhere. I'm just a little concerned that their expectations of getting a full ride to business school may be out of line with the realities of their numbers. Now, I recognize that 327 is a great score, um, but again, you want to have like to get to get these merit-based scholarships. You want to be above and beyond. And since their GPA is actually a little below, um, I'd really want the GRE to be you know kind of sky high. So that's just something that jumped out at me. Again, I don't have enough information on their experience. Maybe they're from a lesser represented uh, Asian market. Um, maybe this candidate's female instead of male. I don't I don't know. But I think it's a little dangerous to go into the process looking for a free ride. Uh, and I, you know, I think I would encourage them to think through like, well, what is the ROI on the MBA, even if I'm working in, you know, social impact and things? Because I think there is some ROI there. It just, right. yeah, I just am a little nervous about this, but I agree with your overall strategy. It's like, yeah, g- give it a shot and definitely maybe add some schools at the back end if, if you really are focused on the dollars. Yeah. Do you think that they should retake the GRE? I mean, if they're if they are dedicated to only going to business school for free, then I would say they kind of need to get a better score than that. I mean, I, I recognize that at a place like let's look at some of the schools on the bottom of the list. You know, that like the, the schools that are lower ranking on their list, right? Sure, maybe the average GRE score is closer to like three twenty, and you'd say, wow, they're nicely above that. But I guess I'm just thinking about you know, you look at the a lot of the schools that are sort of top sixteen on their list, and they're going to be 
you know, maybe a little bit above average, right? But it's not right. it's not one of those scores that makes you, you know, scream and shout or anything. It's not a really, um, I don't know, maybe I'm being unfair. <laughs> but but also it is the one aspect of their pro of their candidacy that they still have some control over, right? So yeah. um, if they think, well, actually with additional prep, I could get a couple more points out of this, uh, that might be the smart thing to do. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, and this is being, you know, maybe this is not fair or, um, I don't know, sometimes I think about how if you have a really high GRE score, what does it do for the school in terms of stats? You know, I, I don't think people pay as close attention, at least not yet, to the average GRE score at a school. Like, I feel like, you know, even looking at the most recent U.S. news charts, you know, I, I feel like GMAT is listed first in terms of the average scores uh, on the chart that, you know, the, the sort of publicly available data. Um, so I just kind of wonder about that too. You know, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is if this person had a 760 on the GMAT, would that be more powerful than a 760? than a 330 on the GRE or something. Yeah, it's possible, it's possible. But I also think um, there's a bit of a lag there because as, as we understand looking at our data um, on, on sort of live wire and decision wire and so forth, that more and more people are taking the GRE. So I would imagine that that would become a, a better, a, yeah. a bigger factor in, in these rankings. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because I think the test scores, the average test scores and GPAs are are most valuable now as just a sync signal in the class profile that the school pup puts up on their website. They seem to be less valuable now in a lot of the rankings because the rankings seem to be moving towards the employer outcomes um, for better yeah, or for worse. But as we've seen, I, I think GPT-4 <laughs> does a better job on the rankings than any of these organizations yeah. anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I, I want to thank that person for their post. I hate to be a you know downer on. It. I think that you know I, I just want to encourage them to really put their best foot forward. If money's if money's really the objective in terms of scholarship, right? So, so let's move on though and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So the second candidate this week has nine schools on the target list, and those schools are Berkeley, Columbia, Dartmouth, Duke, NYU, UCLA, UNC. USC and UVA Darden, and they too will be applying this summer and fall, and they want to start in the fall of 24. This candidate's been working in commercial real estate, uh, I think as a broker, it sounds like, and they are interested post-MBA in venture capital, and they're also somewhat interested in something that they referred to as prop tech, which is sort of real estate technology stuff. So they've got some companies listed in that domain too, like Metaprop and Alpaca VC. Well, that's part of the, the venture capital goal. But they, they mentioned some other ideas. And so they're, they're sort of torn between VC versus the sort of property tech stuff. And then their GRE score is a 323. Their GPA is a 3.1. They have two and a half years of work experience. They're located in Los Angeles. And post-MBA, they'd love to be either in LA or New York. And they mentioned that they've been with the same company since graduating undergrad. They mentioned they went to a good but not top school. Um, they, they work as a commercial real estate uh, corporate office broker um, slash consultant for a major global uh, commercial real estate firm. And, you know, they also have a lot of internship experience from college that was, again, in the real estate 
field. Uh, and as I said, you know, they're they're interested in sort of either prop tech or VC. They did say that they know that their undergraduate GPA is on the lower end, and they're trying to boost that GRE, which is currently a 323. They're hoping to take it again. I think they're going to take it again in about a month, and they think they can get like 326. They're also very involved locally. They're on the board of a local basketball league. And, you know, their last wrinkle is that they're planning to leave their current firm this fall to move to New York. And they're not really sure what to do about reference letters, et cetera. They also mentioned they were diagnosed with ADHD, but they're not planning on talking about that in the applications. So there's a lot to unpack here, Alex. I'll let you start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in terms of the um, stats, so GRE, GPA, years of work experience and so forth, they are going to be on the lower end of the median for each of those stats yeah. um, for, the, for the top schools. So they've got to recognize that. Now, they're going back to retake the GRE um, to boost that. So it's a 323. So obviously, whatever they can do there, absolutely fantastic. Um, the 3.1 GPA, um, they can't change that. Um, maybe they do need to write a, a very short um, um, optional essay discussing the impact of um, ADHD um, um, on on their undergraduate work. <coughs> Excuse me, and and recognise that they've been um, now diagnosed for that and and, and so forth. Mm. They're doing the um, they're doing the um, CFA um, level one. Um, um, so 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 that might be helpful. Um, I really encourage them to do at least MBA math also to um, show um, their dedication for the academics and, and show their preparedness um, for when they begin the MBA. So, so that's important. Um, I, I, you know, two and a half years of experience, I suppose when they enrolled, that would be closer to three and a half years. So getting closer to the median, um, that's good. But a lot will depend upon what they do as they transition from LA to New York and um, whether it makes sense even to, um, when they affect that transition, to even remain an additional year and really show growth and, and development over that year and impact um, yeah. to, to, to sort of um, help help. And develop that. This goal of wanting to be on the VC side is very challenging. They think, Graham, that they can get an internship prior to starting the MBA to get some VC experience. That would be very good. But again, I would really encourage them if they can do that, could they get a, a, a full-time position prior to starting the MBA? Mm -hmm. um, anyway, I'll turn it over to you as I'm going to have a big cough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think, I mean, one of the things that stands out to me is, like you said, you know, the stats, at least for the time being, GRE, GPA, and even years of work experience are all below average for the schools that they're targeting. Um, you know, and I think, you know, with the GRE, it's a little more wishy-washy because maybe 323 is closer to average, but we know a 3.1 is a very low GPA for any of these top schools. And that two and a half years of work experience, even what would be three and a half upon matriculation, maybe, are, is just not going to be as much as many candidates have coming in. And so, 
I'm a little concerned about that. I also agree with you. This transition from real estate into VC may be challenging. By the way, I don't think this person's done the CFA. I think it's the the next person that we're going to talk about. I feel like because I just was looking at the profile, but I think they're what they're. Um, thing is, is that they're, you know, they might have this internship, they're moving to New York. It's all, it's kind of all a little bit more complicated than ideally would be. And they did mention they might be able to stay with their current firm, which is a global um, real estate firm. So if they could just move to New York and stay working at that firm, um, that might be the best case scenario. My sense was that that VC internship that's on offer for them is like, if you get into business school, you can come and spend your summer before business school working at a VC. I'm, I wonder if they would actually, you know, be able to go to that firm now and say, actually, can I just come on full time? Like you suggested, I just, I wonder if that would actually happen, um, given that they don't have the MBA yet or, or the offer in hand. Uh, so it's a little challenging. I, I think if I were them, like you were saying, I would, I would get to New York, maybe stay at the same firm and work another year and try to really boost, um, you know, boost the GRE and cause that there's no rush here given their age and an amount of experience. So that, that's kind of my, my take. And I, I would recommend that given they have that low GPA, and I think you mentioned this in the comments, they should do some additional coursework to sort of help bolster that. And I would recommend, you know, business fundamentals, MBA math, HBS core, one of those, you know, kind of courses that they could take that would demonstrate to the admissions team you know, that they are ready for it to work hard, that they've got the kind of quantitative chops, et cetera, and, and that, you know, they obviously might help compensate for that GPA too. So so that's my take. I, I kind of, I want to lean towards telling this person wait a year or, you know, obviously if they hit the GRE out of the park when they retake it, then maybe there's some room. I'm just, I am concerned about the target schools and that combination of their numbers. One thing about this waiting a year, I think we're both in agreement that that might be the right way to go. The pushback might be, but I don't want to stay in brokerage for another year. Yeah. Um, so if waiting a year means remaining in a similar position, a similar role, but in New York instead of LA, is that the right approach, Graham? Or have they got to be looking at their pivot prior to the MBA. Yeah, it's challenging. And they also have this other issue, which is that they came into their firm at the kind mm. of higher level than most college grads. And so they haven't yet been promoted as a result of that because they started already with kind of a promotion in hand and they're worried about that too. And I, yeah, it's it's tricky. I, I think I would not recommend moving. I, I would not recommend like having like a gap in employment if they can avoid it. Right. Um, and so if that means sticking with brokerage for the near term until they can maybe find something else, then so be it. I just also worry about, usually you don't see someone applying to business school in the middle of a job transition because, right. you know, it's hard to write essays about like, what, what have you accomplished in your current role when, you know, you either just left your current role and don't have a new, <laughs> new one or your, your new job is kind of not yet fleshed out enough to have many things to share. So that's, that's the other thing that's leading me towards pushing them off a year. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It's, it's tricky. I mean, I, I think I would do brokerage if they can't find anything else, but yeah, if they, if they don't like brokerage and they want a different job, I would say move to New York when you have a job in something else, you know, like I, I'm not sure what's, they don't tell us what's driving the move. Maybe it's a personal thing, right? Yeah. But it's yeah, hard yeah. to know. And, and maybe the right approach, Graham, is apply um, next season, um, recognizing that it might not be ideal 
and and come back as a reapplicant if that's necessary. Yeah. Knowing that as a reapplicant you're likely to have a stronger um, profile. Yeah. The reapp the admit rate's a little bit higher, um, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's So possible. there are quite a few moving parts here. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not clear cut. Yeah. Um, and it's muddied by the fact that they want to do this geographic transition um, from from LA to New York, independent of starting the MBA. So it's yeah. just yeah, there are quite a few uh, moving parts. But the key here is do something like MBA Math or HBS Core, ace the GRE, um, and you know really show impact and growth at work, and. Yeah, I, I, this idea that they can't show promotion, um, yeah, promotion is one way of showing growth. But, you know, there are other ways to show growth and impact, right? Um, and if they started at a higher level, the scope of the projects they've been working on and so on and so forth should be more meaningful, more impactful, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so we'll see how it turns out. Obviously, they can leave us some comments if they make decisions about, you know, what they're going to do next. So, yeah. Appreciate them sharing their profile. Let's move on though and talk about Wiretaps candidate number three. So our final candidate this week is also looking to start school in the fall of 24. This person though has five schools on the target list and they are all in Europe. They have Cambridge, IMD, INSEAD, Oxford, and Bocconi as targets. And this person has been working in both, done some consulting and also tech, um, pre-MBA. Uh, they have what looks like three and a half years of experience to date. Um, they would love to get back into consulting or fast-moving consumer goods post-MBA. They've, they've got a lot of things that they list as possibilities, um, but they, you know, when it comes to companies, they mentioned, you know, Anheuser-Busch, InBev, Coca-Cola, LVMH, Nestle, Pepsi, Procter & Gamble, and Unilever. So a lot of those kind of fast-moving um, consumer goods companies. They're located in Manila, um, and they want to land in Europe post-MBA. What's interesting about this is that despite being located in the Philippines, um, this person is a South African. Um, they mentioned that they're you know, South African based in Southeast Asia, and they have this background in tech and consulting. Their undergraduate degree is in mechanical engineering from a top South African university. Uh, they ended up with a 2.3 GPA, which they described themselves as abysmal, um, but it has an upward trend and they did quite well on their final research project. Um, their GMAT is a 730. And as I said, they have three and a half years of work experience. They're obviously, a, they say native English speaker, um, fluency in Afrikaans and basic command of Italian, Zulu and Tagalog, which I believe is the language spoken in Manila. So they, they have a lot of outside activities. Um, you know, they're a diver, they do multi-day kayak marathons. And, you know, so there's a lot of interesting kind of tidbits here that they share. Um, they're also eligible for Italian citizenship for one reason or another. And that's kind of, they want to relocate to Europe, you know, after business school, as I said. So Alex, what do you make of this? Because there's, again, this is a complicated candidacy. Um, there's a potential issue with the GPA. That seems to be the theme <laughs> this week. Some of the numbers are, are a bit off. And so, yeah, what do you make of this? Yeah, this is a real issue with the GPA, right? So yeah. <laughs> I think uh, prior to candidates, they're, they're a little bit more um, closer to the mark. Yes. But yeah, a 2.3. Yeah. Uh, with the positive trend at the end makes me really wonder what they did in that first year. But <laughs> nevertheless, yeah. nevertheless, yeah. <laughs> this is a really interesting profile overall, right? Yeah. There's a real um, black mark on the GPA side, but 
you know, there are other aspects of this um, profile that I think are probably very strong. I think their work experience is probably very strong. I think their extracurricular stuff, their sort of activities um, are, are really interesting too. I think AdCom's going to really like that. Um, so it's the sort of candidate that actually maybe AdCom is going to want to um, admit, um, but they're going to really be stressing about this GPA. So, so to me, for this profile, they've just got to jump through so many hoops to mitigate that GPA. So what might that look like? It, I, I'd want to know why this GPA was so low. Um, I don't think they explain that um, in, in the, the profile. It's an engineering degree, but right. still, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's low. Let, let, let's put it this way, Graham. I might get a 2.3 in an engineering degree. <laughs> and I'm not saying I would, but yeah. it's, it's perhaps well, within my scope. But what was your so, first year GPA when you were at university? <laughs> well, thankfully, in the UK system, we didn't really have to report stuff like that. So. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, anyway, the, I mean, I'm sure as this candidate knows, this is the, the elephant in the room, and yeah. it's a big elephant. So what are they going to be able to do to mitigate um, this issue? There's going to need to be an explanation. Um, and the explanation might be that they were completely unfocused and they were completely whatever, but make that explanation and then mitigate it and illustrate why they're now focused and how they um, intend to sort of really make the most of their um, opportunities if it's provided them. Now, they're um, like I say, their work, they're coming from South Africa, so that's somewhat under, underrepresented there. Um, they're working in Southeast Asia, so that combination would be underrepresented. So, so that's all very good. Right. Like I say, they, they do some also some interesting sort of a- outdoors activities that I think would play very well. Um, so, so what else do they need to do? They got They've got to. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. This is the CFA guy. Um, so I apologise for that. No, so, right. so they're going to do CFA one. That's fine, but that doesn't cut it. In my book, it's got to be HBS core or MBA math on top of that. Um, And they're basically, they've got two challenges to overcome. One is to show that they are absolutely smart enough to to sail through the rigorous curriculum. And the 730 GMAT is going to help with that, no doubt. Um, but, But, you know, taking, you know, whatever other academic stuff that they can take now is also going to help. But they've also got to show that they're dedicated to the process of doing well in academics um, and so forth. So that's why taking as much of these additional coursework now um, will be helpful in that sort of second, second regard. So I say go do whatever they can to mitigate that GPA. And if they can do that, um, yeah, hopefully uh, they'll get opportunities. Bocconi seems like a really good fit for what they want to do. Yeah. Um, but they basically listed the top European programs. They want a one-year program, which I have a little bit of pause for if, if they want to pivot, but nevertheless. And that other, the other thing that they really want to focus on and concentrate on is um, having a really good plan post-MBA. Mm-hmm. So it's so a really fine-tuning that post-MBA plan will be helpful too. Um, but yeah, I reckon this is probably a really interesting um, candidate, yeah. but they're going to have to really do whatever they can to mitigate the GPA. 
Yeah, the only other one that I could think of that that struck me as not being on the list um, when we're talking about school selection is HEC. Now, I'm assuming it's because their program's like 16 month or something. It's not, you know, it's, it's neither one nor two years. It's sort of in between. Um, but it, it might be, given some of their target industries, um, it could be a good one. Um, so I just wanted to mention that to them. I'm sure they've looked at it and for one reason or another maybe ruled it out. But that could be a, an interesting option. Uh, I do agree with you. They need to take something. And I... I think more than just the CFA. Yeah. Um, so, and they did say, oh, can I take MBA math or HBS score? They mentioned that HBS score is a lot more time consuming and expensive. And so my view is take whichever one you want. The schools don't seem to have a strong opinion. I do think that, you know, business fundamentals might be the better in between. Um, it's a bit more formal than MBA math, um, but way less expensive than HBS score. And, and you know, it's made by GMAC. So it's got that sort of seal of approval. But in any event, whatever they do, they need to do something because you're right, that two, three is going to just stick out like a sore thumb. Uh, but I agree with you. Otherwise, like it's kind of an interesting profile. I mean, not everyone is from South Africa working in, in Manila, right? Yeah. So it, it's kind of a, a really interesting profile. And, and I like their goals too. Yeah. I think European programs appreciate that even just a little bit more, right? Because they yeah. have such a diverse sort of yep. international um, student profile. Agreed. So I want to wish that person the best of luck. I think there's, again, a lot of moving parts, but I understand their desire to want to do a program in a, in a sort of speedy fashion. Uh, you know, I, I do agree with you, though, that, you know, it's <laughs> 30 years from now, that may not be the most important thing if they look back on a career that, you know, but in any event, they first got to address this GPA thing. Um, that's the big, big thing. So in any event, thanks, Alex, for picking these out, as you always do. And this was an interesting theme because we didn't have, you know, three kind of pristine candidates. You know, everyone has their kind of um, things to address. So very good stuff to discuss. Very good. Very good. Best of luck, everyone. Stay safe.